Welcome to the podcast of Maranatha Ministries. I'm Rick Frank, Senior Pastor of Maranatha, and I pray you'll be blessed by today's message. You can access all of our church information by going to our website at www.mmchurch.com or on all social media by searching at mmchurch. And now be blessed by listening to today's message. You guys can be seated. I'm going to read from the word of the Lord here this morning. I'm in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 18. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 18. The Apostle Paul writing here writes the following. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. And from this scripture, I intend to preach to you a message entitled, The Perfect Father. The Perfect Father. Let's have a word of prayer before we start. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your blessings, Lord. We pray by your spirit that you would bless this entire congregation right now, Lord. Open every heart, open every ear, open every mind, Jesus. Let your will be imparted upon every heart here, Jesus. Use me as a willing vessel, Lord, to deliver your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise here this morning. I'll be honest, when I was first asked to preach on Father's Day, I wasn't really sure which way I wanted to go with the message at first. I am a first-time father. We have a 14-month-old son who I'm sure will probably scream at some point if he wakes up during this sermon. But you know, as I thought about it, as I prayed about it, as I sought the Lord, I felt led to go in a different direction. Because I realized that of all the holidays we have, I don't know that there's one that prompts such a wide range of reactions and emotions as Father's Day does. People have different reactions to Father's Day because they grew up in different situations. They have different situations with their own life. Some of us have been blessed with fathers who who live in that biblical mold. Men like Noah, just men, godly men, men who walked with God, a man who showed his children through the way he lived his life what true submission to the Lord really means, a man who protected his family. The Bible doesn't really go into a lot of detail about the day-to-day life of Noah while he was building the ark, but it does say that he lived in a world full of violence. Man was wicked. So I think it's reasonable to assume that over the course of the decades that it took to build that ark, there was some sort of a threat to his family, some sort of a danger that he had to respond to. Yet as a father, he kept his children and his family safe. So some of us are blessed with a father who, who fits that biblical mold. Yet others may not have somebody like that in a natural or biological father, but they have someone like a stepfather a foster father, an uncle, a cousin, someone who fills that role. And these people need to be celebrated on Father's Day as well. Absolutely, because these men sacrifice just as much. They pour just as much love and effort into their children. And I do call them their children because it is their children. So let's give them a round of applause right here. And we see an example of this in the Bible as well when we look at Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now, I'll be honest, it's easy to gloss over Joseph. I don't think we preach or teach a lot on Joseph. But if we look at what the Bible does say about him, it's clear that he had a definite impact on Jesus when he was young. He loved Jesus. The Bible says when Mary and Joseph and Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover and Jesus stayed behind teaching in the temple, says Mary and Joseph sought him anxiously. So they both clearly loved Jesus. 
The Bible says he was a just man, just as Noah was. Jesus became a carpenter by trade before he began his earthly ministry. This was Joseph's trade. So it's clear that he took him under his wing, guided him, and influenced him there. He went to great lengths to protect Jesus as a child, bringing the family to Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod. And he set the tone in that household as the spiritual leader, as the man of the house. He was another living example of what it meant to really submit to God, even when it wasn't easy. And how many times is submission easy? I don't think it's ever easy. I don't think true submission is really ever easy. Yet Joseph persisted, Noah persisted, these men persisted, and they remained faithful. And they showed their children through their lives what submission really meant. James, or I'm sorry, Joseph generally obviously did something right because he had natural children as well. He had sons in James and Jude who were pillars of the early church, who wrote New Testament books. James was one of the chief elders of the early church in Jerusalem. So it's clear that Joseph did something right as well. But the reality of the situation is there's a lot of people who don't have anybody in their lives, who don't have a Joseph, who don't have a Noah. I was doing some research and reading for this sermon and I found a stat that First of all, it's absolutely heartbreaking, and I think what's even more sad is the fact that I really wasn't surprised by it. And that's as of today in this country, over one in four children are growing up in a home without a father or a father figure of any sort. That's over 18 million children right now growing up without a father. And even of those who do have a father, the reality is no man is perfect. No human is perfect. Every father makes mistakes. I've been a father for 14 months, and I've lost track of the number of things I wish I could do differently, the things I wish I could take back. And I'm sure every father in this room is in the same boat. So it's only natural that Father's Day prompts such a wide range of reactions from people because people's experiences vary so much. But what is so amazing and so awesome, church, is that no matter our circumstance, no matter the situation we live in, we all do have something to celebrate because we all have a heavenly father. We all have a father in Jesus who no matter our circumstance, no matter our race, our gender, our wealth, our socioeconomic status, who cares for us, who loves us and is perfect in all of his ways. And we worship him and we magnify him. We're so thankful to have a perfect father in Jesus. Our heavenly father is perfect in all of his ways. He's perfect in his protection. We can be confident, we can be secure, we can feel safe knowing that the Lord's hand of protection is always upon us. Psalm 91 verse two says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. And sometimes we lose sight of this living in 21st century America, but especially at the time the Bible was written, cities without a wall, cities without fortifications of any sort, they were vulnerable. They were vulnerable to attack from the enemy. They were vulnerable to attack from bandits, from criminals. So these unwalled cities would often be clustered around a stronghold, a city that did have a wall. And whenever there was any sort of trouble, the citizens of those towns would flee to that stronghold, would flee to that fortress and seek refuge. And this was a day, of course, before gunpowder, before cannons, before artillery. So a stronghold could withstand an attack from an enemy force many times the size of its defenders. And in the same way, God is our stronghold. He is our fortress. He is our refuge. We can rest easy in the confidence that we have the Lord's hand of protection on us always. He is a perfect protector. 
God is perfect in availability. Our Heavenly Father is never tired. He's never sick. He never has to work late. He never has a bad day. He's never distracted. He is always there for us. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. His word tells us he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is with us always. He's with us right now in this sanctuary. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of 2 Timothy, was sitting in a Roman prison awaiting his execution. He wasn't going to be alive for much longer after he wrote this letter. A lot of commentators refer to it as his farewell epistle. And Paul, in verse 16 of chapter 4, notes that at my first defense, no one stood with me. No one stood with me, but all forsook me. This is a man in the Apostle Paul who was one of the chief architects of the spread of the early church. How many churches had he founded? How many lives had he touched? Yet he stood in a Roman court alone. Every man had forsaken him. But you see, he wasn't really alone. Because if we go on to read verse 17, Paul says, The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Jesus is not just a passive bystander. He doesn't just sit in the corner, pull up a newspaper and say, let me know if you need me. He's always there to help us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to guide us, even in our darkest moments, even when we feel most alone, even when we feel like we don't know how we're going to go on. We don't know how we're going to get out of bed today because things are that difficult. But the Lord is right there with us to strengthen us and encourage us. Our Heavenly Father is perfect in His instruction and His guidance. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And God guides us in so many ways. We're actually doing a series on this on Maranatha Live now, so if you haven't watched that, I would urge you to check it out. You can find it on our YouTube channel. But we talk about some of those ways that God guides us. God guides us in so many ways. He guides us with his word. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God guides us and encourages us where we currently stand, a lamp unto our feet, where we are now through his word, and what a living word it is. How many times have you opened the Bible, read a scripture that felt like it was written 3,000 years ago for your very moment, for the exact situation you're dealing with? It is truly a living and powerful word. And God guides us as to where we need to go as well. Not only a lamp unto our feet, but a light unto our path. He guides us as we go forward, helps us to grow closer to him. He always wants us to be better. Our Heavenly Father is perfect in His love for us. God loves each and every one of us in a way and a capacity that no man can possibly even love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. And that's a word that I think we can all agree the word the world has perverted has pulled out, has, has changed the meaning of almost in love. I mean, how many times do you hear about people falling in and out of love or love at first sight? It's all based on feelings. A lot of it's based on physical attraction. But that's not what true love is. The Greeks had a number of different words that they would use for this concept of love. They used eros for romantic love. They used philia for a brotherly love, a love of friendship. That's where we get the name of the city Philadelphia from. But there's another word, a word that John uses here when he says God is love. And that word is agape. And agape is the deepest and the truest type of love that can be felt. It's a sacrificial love. 
It's not a love out of feelings or obligation, but of choice. Fine's expository dictionary says that agape love is not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. Love seeks the welfare of all and works no ill to any. And this is the love that God shows each and every one of us as our Heavenly Father. He loves each and every one of us to this capacity before we even know him. He loves each and every one of us before we are knit in our mother's womb. He loved me, knowing that I would forsake him for so long in my life. I talked a couple weeks ago about a little bit of my testimony. When I was younger, I was struggling with drugs, struggling with emotional issues, and I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. That was the last thing I wanted to hear. I didn't want to be close to him. I didn't want to draw near to him. I didn't want any of that. But you see, even knowing that I would forsake him such, he still loved me and loves me with that depth. He still loved me enough to go to Calvary and die on a cross for my iniquities, even while I would forsake him. And finally, when he brought me to that point where I was ready to receive him, and he loved me so much that he did bring me to that point through his providence, even while I was forsaking him, even while I was rejecting him, he guided my circumstances and guided my life so that I would be brought to him. And finally, when that wonderful day finally came, when I turned towards him, when I repented of my sins, when I ran towards him, he didn't just stand there. He didn't wait for me. No, he was like the father of the prodigal son. He ran towards me, his arms wide open, embracing me, falling upon my shoulder, letting me know how much he loved me, how thankful he was that I finally had turned towards him. And isn't it wonderful, church, that we have a father, a heavenly father, who loves us all, each and every person here, each and every person listening to this message, loves each and every one of us this much. Amen. It's so wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. And finally, our Heavenly Father is perfect in his provision. He's a perfect provider. That's another word that I sometimes think we use a little bit out of context nowadays, provision. When I think of provision, I think of supplies, materials. I think of the Oregon Trail, honestly. People hitting the general store and loading up on provisions, get the wagon trains rolling and head out west. That's what I think of when I hear provision. And certainly provision does include material needs. It does include supplies, food, clothing, shelter, but true provision goes so much deeper than that, so much deeper than that. A lot of us are familiar with the name Jehovah Jireh. We actually sang that beautiful song today, Jireh, and what a beautiful song that is and what a wonderful job our musicians did, and they always do. This name Jehovah Jireh, we often translate to the Lord will provide. But if you actually look at the literal translation of what Jehovah Jireh means, it actually means the Lord will see. It means the Lord will see. And this helps us to understand the depth of God's provision. Because you see, God in his foreknowledge, in his foresight, sees our needs before we even realize them. He knows everything we're going to need before we're even born. And he's already working to provide for us. And it's a good thing that he does too, because so often we don't know what we need. I can't tell you how many times I've sat there and told God I need something. I need something. I need this. And it's so wonderful that God didn't listen to me. And he did things his way. Because I look back on it, and had he done things my way, it would have been terrible. It would have worked out horribly. But his way is so far above ours 
so far above ours. He knows our every need. If we look at Genesis chapter 22, where this name Jehovah Jireh is used, Abraham, that father of the faith, that patriarch, the father of the nation of Israel, has finally been blessed with a son in Isaac, finally been blessed with that miracle child, that son who him and his wife had waited so long for. But what does God do? He tells them to go up to the mountain, tells Abraham to bring Isaac up to the mountain and give him as a burnt offering to sacrifice this son who he waited so long and so diligently for. And Abraham in his faith submitted. He brought Isaac up there. And he said to him in verse 8 of chapter 22, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And this verse right here truly shows us the full depth of God's provision. Because on the one level, God is meeting their needs in the moment. He's meeting their needs in this world. He does provide a sacrifice so that Isaac doesn't need to be sacrificed. And God certainly does provide for our needs in this world. But that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of God's provision. Because let's take a look at that again. It says, God will provide himself a lamb. You see, Abraham didn't realize it at the time. But he was pointing forward to Calvary when he said this. When God provides himself as a spotless and a blameless lamb, to go and die on a cross and pay for the iniquities of all of us, to pay for my iniquities. And you see, this provision is eternal provision. He's providing for our eternal needs by giving us a chance to be saved here. And this truly helps us to understand how perfect God's provision is, how perfect our Heavenly Father's provision is. Because not only does he provide for our temporal needs, for our worldly needs, but he provides for our eternal needs as well. This is the ultimate example of provision. Again, so many of us have different feelings when it comes to Father's Day, different emotions. Some of us are blessed to have natural fathers who fit in that mold of Noah, biblical men, men who walk in the ways of the Word of God. Many others have someone else in their lives like a Joseph, a stepfather, a foster father, an uncle, whatever it may be. And we need to celebrate all of these men, not only today but every day. Because they toil, they sacrifice, they work hard, they give of themselves to provide for their children. So we need to celebrate them, especially in this day and age where I feel like fatherhood is often minimized. More and more as time goes on. We need to ensure that we celebrate our fathers regularly because they are truly important in our lives. Regardless of our circumstances, though, we all have something to celebrate. Again, not just today, but every day. We have a heavenly father who is a perfect father. He's perfect in his protection, perfect in his availability, perfect in his guidance, perfect in his love, perfect in his provision. And he cares enough to not only provide for our worldly needs, but our eternal needs as well. Stuart Townend in the mid-60s wrote a hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I'm not going to read the whole thing here. I'm just going to read a few verses, but I feel like it sums up so perfectly the true extent of God's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. 
But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. I am so glad, church, to have a heavenly father who loves each and every one of us, loves me, loves you so much to go and die on a cross for our iniquities, for our sins. He loved me enough to go die for my sins when he knew I would be among those mockers and those scoffers, but he didn't care. He didn't care because he loved me so much that he made that ultimate sacrifice for me. Why should I gain from his reward? What have I done to deserve that? What have I done to deserve his grace? What have I done to deserve salvation? And the simple answer is nothing. I haven't done anything. None of us have. But our Father in heaven loves us so much, each and every one of us so much, that he made the ultimate sacrifice that we may be saved. Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Ministries podcast. If this message touched you, please make sure to subscribe for more sermons from Pastor Frank and the ministry team here at Maranatha, as well as follow us on our social media platforms. We are located in Schenectady, New York, and if you are in the area, we invite you to join us during our weekly Sunday service starting at 10.30 a.m. We look forward to you joining us again next week for another anointed message. Thank you, and God bless.